If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy. I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church, and it's a joy to welcome you. I want to talk to you for just a moment about what you've just seen. You are very well aware of the images of destruction and death and violence that are coming out of Ukraine. And you have, over the last couple of weeks, contacted the church and said, how can we respond? How can we help? Many of you, of course, have already donated to work that is going on, and I'm so grateful you have done so. But as a church, the session has said that we should have our own response, which is rooted in the fact that we have relationships through our church planning ministry with a number of partners that are in Ukraine. We've been able to talk to those who are doing relief work in Ukraine, handling not only what is the largest refugee crisis since World War II. Over two million people have fled Ukraine and are going into the neighboring countries of Poland and Moldova and Romania and, um, and, and, and uh, Slovakia. Um, we have to step into that, but we have these partners there. Alex, who you saw in the video, others uh, who are uh, leading in Kiev, others who are seminary leaders. Uh, we've been able to talk to uh, leaders in Belarus and in Russia as well. And so we are asking our church to do a couple of things. First of all, we're asking all of our church members to continue to pray for an end to violence and overthrow of the sources of destruction and demolition and death, to pray for God's mercy for those who are suffering and who are in pain, and for the Prince of Peace to extend the scepter of his rule into this war-torn part of the world again. But we will also, in addition to our prayers, step in with practical help. And so we are committing ourselves to raising over uh, the next month through the end of April $100,000 to send in aid to our ministry partners on the ground so that they can prepare shelter and give food to and medical aid to those who are injured, those who are in need of refugee assistance. And so this is above and beyond our regular giving. Um, and you might say, well, pastor, uh, 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 how do we go above and beyond our regular giving? Which, uh, have you seen the price of gas? Um, and yes, we have. And so I don't know exactly what that'll look like for you. That might mean um, uh, one less latte a day. Um, it might mean um, a meal out that uh, you decide to skip. It might mean uh, having a garage sale or something like that. But this is something we will undertake to do over the next month. And I'm asking all of our members to consider what they can do so that through the end of April, we can contribute that $100,000. And if you'd like to contribute to that, you can go to SpanishRiver.com forward slash Ukraine or connect and you'll have the opportunity to give online. So I want to invite you this morning to pray with me for God's work in that part of the world which is so torn by violence, and to pray as well today for our general giving and ask God's blessing over that. So let's pray together, shall we? Gracious Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We thank you for them in Belarus and in Russia too. And we ask that your church would bear faithful witness to Christ through the power of the gospel, and that in the midst of these great sorrows and sufferings and these convulsions, that tens of thousands of people would come to know Jesus Christ. 
We pray for the defeat of evil and the frustration of every plan that would subjugate people and destroy life and unleash violence. We pray for an end to that. And we pray that your global church will respond in faith, hope, and sacrificial love to help meet the growing humanitarian crisis that exists in this part of the world, and that you would help each and every one of us as members of this congregation to do what you call each of us to do to support these brothers and sisters in their work of meeting these practical needs. Lord, you have taught us that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we look to you. We don't know exactly how to respond And we know that what we do may seem small, and yet every contribution is critical. What every church will do across the world is essential, so that brought together from its many disparate parts, what the body of Christ will do in compassion and mercy and love will testify to your generous love, your radical generosity, which you have showered on us in great kindness, your mercy that is given to us. You have met us in our sorrows. You have met us in our pain. You have met us when we have faced death. Good shepherd, walk with those who this morning are in the valley of the shadow. Strengthen those who are weak. And Lord, comfort those who mourn. We pray these things too for our own community, for our own city, for our own land. For There are people here in our church who are hurting. There are those here, Lord, who face great sorrows and great fears, great anxieties. And we pray for your comfort and your strength and your help to be with all. Lord, we pray for our offerings, our giving today. Grant us generous hearts in all that we do and cheerful generosity at that so that we rejoice and we celebrate the opportunity to reflect your love in our fallen world. And we thank you for this. Lord, we pray for our ministry partners. We ask that you will continue to use them to bring the gospel of good news throughout that war-torn region. And we pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Um, Dana mentioned that we're in the middle of this season of prayer and fasting. I've had some conversations with people while we've been doing this. And um, um, uh, one person said, you know, what, do I, what, are we really, what are we really getting out of this? And let me just encourage you. The first thing you, you get when you're doing a fast is, is hungry. That's the, that's, the, that's the first thing that you get. If you're looking for, <laughs> and if you're looking for kind of like an immediate, you know, sort of feedback loop, like, oh, I feel really spiritual now. That isn't what happens. Uh, what you're doing is sowing seed and watering the garden, and you're going to see the fruit of this in months and in years to come. It's a time for humbling ourselves and seeking the Lord's face and so on. So, so don't think you kind of get some instantaneous sort of spiritual buzz out of it. That's not the way it works. And again, let me just remind you, if you've never done this before, in a metaphor which is perhaps inappropriate, don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, uh, you might want to, you know, if you want to go a whole day, that's fine, but... Um, uh, you might want to just, you know, miss a, skip a meal or a particular um, food on that particular day, which is something you might find uh, uh, particularly delightful, and just set that aside. And remember, it's not just a question of not eating particular food, it's, it's a question of eating God's Word and coming together for prayer and doing that together because we encourage each other and we help each other. And there's, a, there's an intensifying when a person fasts and prays, there's an intensifying that goes with that. And it's an act of spiritual warfare. There are times, and you'll see this in the devotional guide uh, as we work through this together, there are times where certain things the enemy does, those things are only dislodged 
by prayer, which is accompanied by uh, fasting as well. So let me encourage you to to press in on that and, and get after it. Last week, Pastor Tim brought us a great message final one in the Sermon on the Mount series, and he noted that the people who were listening to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said he teaches as one who has authority. And they were astonished at his teaching. Now, leaving the scene of that sermon in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes down from the mountain and he goes into a valley of ministry and a valley of need, and he begins to show the same authority he was demonstrating in his teaching by deeds of power, which cause tremendous amazement in the eyes and the hearts of those who see him. He's healing a leper. He's delivering those who are um, in need of liberty from dark forces. He heals the sick. He does all of this, and then the evening comes, and in the evening, he has his disciples get into a boat. They venture out on a lake. They're going to the other side of this body of water. Jesus, after Full morning sermon on the mount, full afternoon of ministry. He gets in the boat, he goes to sleep. In the middle of all of, all of that, a tremendous storm hits that body of water. And that's what I want us to read about this morning here in Matthew chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible with you, you want to follow along, please do. The verses will be up here as well. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going we're gonna to pick it up here in verse 23. Matthew 8, 23 When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And this is the gospel of the Lord. Lord, please, by your Spirit, seal these words in our hearts. Amen. So, so friends, uh, many of you are out on the sea. Uh, You'll take the boat out, you'll get out there, um, and and you know how terrifying and beautiful it can be. Beauty one moment, terror the next. But imagine the heart of a person who was not familiar with that life at all. Many of Jesus' first apostles, of course, were men of the sea. They were fishermen. They were out there all the time. They understood its ways. But the man writing this gospel, let's remember who he was. He was on the boat. He was Levi, also known as Matthew, Levi Matthew, the tax collector. Okay, this is your local CPA, IRS agent, formerly corrupt, now converted, and he's in the boat. Now, if the professional guys that are used to going out on the sea are looking at each other going, we're, we're dead, I want you to think about what's going on in the heart of the local CPA. This is stark terror at this moment. These waves are crashing over this boat, which is a very small craft, and it looks like all is lost. If the people who are the professionals on the water are going, we're going down. This is it. And the Savior of the world is sleeping through the storm. 
you can understand why they are distressed and they say, Jesus, you who delivered the multitudes, you who just preached this amazing sermon, you who healed the sick, would you please wake up and do something here? Is there anything you can do? Can you at least pick up a pail and bail some water out over the edge here? Lord, please do something. Now, there's many times in our lives where we, we, we pray prayers like that. Lord, would you please do something? It feels like you're asleep and we're in the storm here, Lord. Jesus wakes, looks at the disciples, reproves their unbelief, and then he speaks to creation. He speaks to the created order. He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waters. And he says, hush. And they grew calm. And the silence in that moment was as deafening as the storm had been just a moment before that. And you can imagine the CPA and the sailors just looking at each other, going, oh, what in the world? And they have a question that comes up. And it's the question that Matthew puts in this text. And it's the question this entire book is meant to answer. What kind of man is this? Who is this? Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Who indeed? See, that's the question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is Jesus to you this morning? I think many people see Jesus as a kind of dashboard demi-deity. They kind of have him along as a, a good luck charm to get them from A to B. He's a kind of, for some people, a fire insurance policy. They prayed a prayer, they shook a hand, they joined a church, and they hope that because they've got their membership card, that when they get to the gates of heaven, they can flash the card and go, I'm in. I think some people imagine that Jesus is a, a kind of catalyst to their lives to make their life happier and better, as if Jesus' mission in the world was to fulfill your American dream. But Jesus has not come necessarily to make you happy in terms of the way we normally count happiness. We just saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. That's not the way we thought this was all going to go, Lord. That's not how we put hashtag blessed in our Instagram account. We put hashtag blessed if we get a new car, a new house, a new job, hashtag blessed. We don't ever look at our house destroyed and go, hashtag blessed. I think Jesus has come to make me happy. I wish I had a nickel for every single time. Some couple said to me, I'm getting a divorce because we're not happy. We're not happy anymore. Oh man, I'd be so wealthy. Of course you're unhappy. Or they said, I'm not married to the same person. He's not the same anymore. She's not the same anymore. Of course they're not the same anymore. 
My wife's been married to six different men. One of them had hair. It's all me, and it's all her fault. She's changed me for the good. You see, when you have two who become one, you spend 50 years finding out which one. And sometimes that's not all happy because God designs that marriage for your holiness, not just your happiness. And when he brings you into a relationship with himself, he's there to grow your faith. He's there not as some additive to your life to make it better. Christ comes into the world. Matthew shows us this right at the outset of the gospel when the wise men show up. They say, the wise men to Herod, where is he who has been born king? Where is the king? Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Psalm 29 says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. It harkens back this moment in Matthew's gospel and in the Psalms to a moment in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. The wind of God, the breath of God was moving over the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then God separated the darkness and the light, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. God spoke to the waters, and he said, that's your boundary. You go this far. He spoke, and the trees began to emerge. He spoke, and life began to happen because God's word is filled with that kind of power. And on this, on this day, in the middle of this storm, Jesus stood up in the boat, and he spoke to the wind, and he spoke to the waves, and the wind and the waves turned to each other and said, did you... Did, did you hear that? And the wave said, I heard it. I heard it. And the wind said, I heard it too. I haven't heard that voice in a long time. Do you remember when, do you remember the wind said to the waves? Do you remember when he said, that far and no further? And the wave said, yeah. The wind said, what did you do? The wave said, well, I obeyed him. And the wave said to the wind, do you, do you remember when he, when he said, let there be light? He said, oh yeah, I remember that. I got out of the way. I obeyed him. The wind and the sea obey him. And the wind and the sea that night on the lake said, we better obey him. And they got calm. And the wind and the waves looked at each other and go, we're not like these crazy humans who don't obey him. We do what he says. Because who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this that's in the boat? Your little dashboard good luck charm? Your little Lana Del Rey, Jesus is my bestest friend song lyric? Is that, who's, is that who's in the boat? No, who's in the boat? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's in the boat? The creator of the wind and the waves. The creator of the sailors in the ship. The creator 
of all that they could see and every star above them and every storm that raged around them, the creator of all things was with them in the boat. And when the wind and the sea were spoken to by the creator, they did what we don't do. They obeyed. We hardened our hearts. Because they recognize the authority of the king. They knew who he was. The Greek word for obey... It's one of my favorite Greek words is hupo akuo. It's right there with akuna matata. <laughs> hupo akuo. It means literally, it literally means this, to listen under. To listen under. To be an obedient person is to listen under the word that is spoken. Too often what we do is we take the word and we stand over it and we stand in judgment over the word and we take God's word and we treat it, we take the words of God which are living and powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit. There's nothing that isn't naked and laid bare before his eyes. You see, when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. And when you stand over it as a kind of cafeteria going, well, I like this verse. Oh, that's a really good verse. Oh, that's not a nice verse. I don't like that verse. And I'm not going to have that verse in my life. Then we are saying, I will not have this king. We're ceasing to listen under. We're going to analyze over. But God has not called us as believing people to analyze over. He has called us to listen under. This, this hearing, this, oh, this tie-in between hearing and obeying is deeply rooted in the Hebrew Old Testament. Because the Hebrew word for hear or listen is the same as the word for obey. Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. It's the essential confession of Israel, the great Shema, the great hear, hear, O Israel. The Lord is God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to hear, and it still comes through sometimes in our conversation. I say it to Tony every morning, to hear is to obey whatever you say, dear. I tell people, Tony and I have never had a fight that I won. Okay, so to hear God, to hear him is to obey him. Many people say, I've never heard God. I've never heard God speak. I've never heard him speak through his word. He speaks by what he has spoken. I don't hear God speak to his word. Sometimes, sometimes, friends, we don't hear God speak to us in his word because we've made no prior commitment to do what he said. We go, Lord, you speak to me, and I'll ponder it. I'll think about it. I'll consider obedience to you. But when we do that, we're not hupo akuo. We're not listening under. You see, there's so many people who come to Jesus like this. They come to Jesus and they go, Lord, um, I, I appreciate everything you did at the cross. That was really sweet. Um, how kind of you. And I've considered it, Lord, and I've, I've got a, a contract here, Lord. These are all the things. These are all the things that I promise I'm going to do for you. Lord, here it is. And the Lord says, oh, oh, this is very impressive stuff. I like this. This is really good. Thank you so much. That's really lovely. Um, I'd like to respond to that. Thank you very much. 
And then the Lord has a, Lord has a contract, you know, Jesus has it. He's, the Lord's on the throne, you see, he's the king. He's the one who the wind and the sea obey. He's the one who speaks and leprosy disappears. He's the one who utters a word of command and demons flee. He's the one who speaks and disease flees. And the Lord says, um, I'd like you to sign this. Now, many of you have been to law school. And you go, uh, Lord, uh, it's blank. Uh, yeah, I know, sign. Well, Lord, I, I kind of need to know what you're going to do. <laughs> he who sits in the heavens laughs. How many of you are glad you didn't know what the Lord was going to do when you signed on? The Lord says, I don't do bargains. And you don't dictate the terms. You see, this is a king like no other. This is the king of creation. And this is the kind of king who rules because of a particular posture of his heart, which is different than every other king. You see, all other earthly kings seek to acquire power so that they can accumulate influence to control others. But Jesus arrives as a servant. He comes to a a conversation in Matthew chapter 8 with a Roman centurion. And the Roman centurion says to him, my, my servant is lying at home sick. And Jesus says to this Roman centurion, I will come and heal him. And the, uh, listen to what the Roman centurion said. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now the servant is over here in a different city. Jesus says, I'll go with you to your home, and there I will minister to him. And he said, you don't have to be physically present to heal my servant. Because, Jesus, I recognize something about you. I too, Jesus, am a man under authority. And so I, to say, I say to a person, he's a Roman commander, I say to a person, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to another, do this, and he does it. Now, did you hear what the Roman centurion said? Because Jesus marveled at it. The Roman centurion said, I too am a man under authority. Now, those of you with a military background will get what he said. You see, I wouldn't have said, I too am a man under authority. I would have said something like, Jesus, just say the word because I too am a man with authority. But this man said, Jesus, I too am a man, what? Under authority. What does, it, what does it mean to obey, to listen? Under. To listen under. The Roman centurion knew that he had authority because he was under authority. And he recognized something in Jesus. He saw Jesus. He said, I too am a man under authority. He knew that Jesus was under authority. So well, whose authority is Jesus, Jesus under? He's under the authority of his father. And he's father. He says, I don't, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. And here's what the father said to him. I'm going to send you into the world. I'm going to give you a bride to cherish and to love and to die for. 
to die on the cross to show the cosmos, all the winds, all the waves, every tree, every mountain, every valley, to show every human being what the shape of love looks like. And you will hang on that cross between heaven and earth and shed your blood there. And in doing that, you will forgive their sins. There was a paralyzed man that was lowered down in front of Jesus. And this paralyzed man is lowered there in front of him. And Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. The theologians who were in the room asked the right question. Who is this that forgives sins? Because only God can forgive sins. Exactly. Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this who forgives sins? You see, at a certain point in your life, Jesus, the king who is sent by the Father to lay down his life for you, comes to you and he says to you, your sins are forgiven. And you hear him. And you realize that's not a general message. It's not just Christ died for the sins of the world. No, no, Christ died for you. And you know you need that death on your behalf. You know you need his blood that was shed for you to forgive your sins. And Jesus walks into the storm that's going on in your life. And as the king of creation, he calms it. And suddenly your heart knows peace, even in the middle of everything that's raging around you. And you go, I've never known peace like this. How does that happen? Because the king has come to visit you. And maybe it was in an intensive care unit waiting room. And maybe it was in the middle of a child's sickness. And maybe it was in the middle of your business collapsing. But suddenly the king showed up and said, peace, be still. The king showed up and said, your sins are forgiven. And the reason he can heal and forgive and say a word and deliver is because he laid his life down on the cross. You see, here in Matthew chapter 8, it says everything that happens here fulfilled this word. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew 8, 17. All of this was to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah. He took our sins. He healed our diseases. Where's that from? That's Isaiah 53. That's the great prophecy of the Lamb of God who is silent before his shearers, who is the substitute. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each man to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Rather than charging our trespasses against us, Jesus took our sins upon himself and God charged the guilt of our trespasses to him. The punishment, which should have been ours, has fallen upon him. He bore it all in his body on the cross. He hung there between heaven and earth. He talked about it as his own home. In the middle of this passage, a person comes to him and says, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, the foxes have holes. And the, and, 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 the, and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His home is not on the ground, not up above. His home he made between the high place and the low place. He hung between heaven and earth, and he hung his head. He didn't lay it down. He hung there, and he bled, and he died. Your king does not come to you this morning and say, die for me so that my kingdom can advance. Your king does not come to you and say, attack others so that the boundaries of my realm may be expanded. No, your king, a king like no other, says, I want you in my kingdom and to show you how much I want you part of my kingdom, 
I am going to die for you. I will hang between heaven and earth. I will shed my blood so that the sin, the guilt, the shame, the fear, the demolition, the destruction, the vandalization of the human soul, which has gone on now for countless centuries, can finally be healed. You may be bound this morning by some form of addiction. Or you may be tied up in anxiety and fear. You may wonder if there's a God and something's wakening inside of you now to, to say, if this Jesus is not a good luck charm, not just some catalyst to make people happy, but God come among us, Emmanuel, God with us, he came to save, he really did that. That's a God I can believe in. This is a God I can trust, the creator of the universe contracted to a span, the one who hung the stars in the skies, asleep in a boat and waking up to save you. If that's the God you can believe in, then I invite you to put your trust in him this morning, to give your life to Christ, not to tell him all the good you will do, but to say, Lord, thank you for all the good that you have done, that you have counted to me that you bore my penalty, you carried my sorrows, and by your stripes my soul is healed. And then just to sign that blank sheet and say, Lord, if for as long as I live and whatever the rest of my days hold, behold, I am yours. I'm yours, Jesus, and you are mine. I am my beloved's, and he is mine, and his banner over us is love. Amen. My friends, the king loves you. The king died for you. And the king is coming again. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all those here who have been far from you to come home to a place of trust in you. I pray for all those who have been skeptical of your power and your authority and your grace to be brought by the Holy Spirit to a living and vibrant faith in you. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us in all of our troubles and in all of our sorrows where we sometimes feel, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing here. Lord, would you please rebuke the smallness of our faith and enlarge the scope of our faith so that we can say with the Roman centurion, just say the word, and I know it will be done. Lord, help us from this moment on to live hupo akuo, to listen under your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.